Welcome to the Produce Industry Podcast, your weekly download on current events, trends, market reports, and community discussions. Join us each week from Tampa, Florida, as we cover all aspects of the produce supply chain industry. Ladies and gentlemen, here's your host, Patrick Kelly. Welcome to the Produce Podcast, everyone. I'm your host, Patrick Kelly. Thanks for joining. Today, we've got a very special guest from Oahe Produce, Shay Myers, who's going to talk about what is happening in the produce industry today concerning his world in Idaho. Now, we will tell you that Shay Myers has a little bit of guidance here as the New York Times has reached out to him and had a conversation with him about what is happening. So you're going to hear it first on the Produce Industry Podcast before you read it on the New York Times. Please welcome Shay Myers. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Hey, Shay. No, we appreciate you getting on the line. I know you were extremely swamped during this time, um, but we decided to get on the line a little bit quicker. I wanted to post your episode uh, around 420, as we talked about, because you're into hemp now and onions, and I thought it'd be a cool episode to have you on the 420 episode, but now we're going to jump this up a little bit uh, because of what's happening. But realistically, um, if you don't know who Shea Myers is, everyone, and you're listening for the first time, uh, Shea Myers is the CEO of Oahe Produce. And Shea, can you give us uh, or our listeners a little bit uh, about what your company is and what you do? You bet. You bet. I'd be glad to. So um, Oahe Produce is one of the parts of Floor Farms. So our, our parent company is Floor Farms. It's a third generation. Um, I'm third generation in our farming operation. Started back in the nineteen late nineteen fifties with my grandfather after uh, after he came back from the Korean War, and uh, we've slowly uh, grown the business and our our business model over the last about the last fifteen years. We completely changed from being just a farming operation to being a vertically integrated farming operation. And for those that don't know what that means, is we try and follow the value chain of of what we do as far as we can. So we grow the crop, but we also store the crop, and we um, pack and grade the crop, and we also market and ship the crop. So we try and keep our hands in and, and control as many aspects of our business as we can. Um, we've, we've come a long ways in that 15-year period. We, even 15 years ago, we probably were only growing about 200 acres of onions. Today, we're, this year, will be almost 1,500 acres that will be marketed. Um, but we don't do just onions. We do asparagus and beans and corn. There's nine crops in our rotation. So we're a pretty diversified farm. Um, but that's kind of the trajectory of where we came from. No, that's awesome. And one of the things I will always remember about you is, if you don't know, again, go on Shea Myers' LinkedIn page, check him out. But listen, I've seen yeah, Shay eat an onion straight up. And I saw that video for the first time, and he I was like, you. it's sweet. Are you there? Can you hear me? Oh, there you are. Sorry, no worries. We'll just keep going. Yeah. All right, no worries. So I remember the first time uh, I watched a video of yours, Shay, uh, and it was funny because it was you eating an onion. Remember that? You were eating a sweet onion, and I sat there with no audio watching going, oh my gosh, what is he doing? And then I clicked on the audio, (laughs) and you were talking about the sweet onion. So your company does a lot of different crops, and you guys are always innovating to do new things. That's what's that's what's even more interesting about you guys and your group. 
But I follow you on LinkedIn. Um, we started talking a lot more during this COVID crisis, but you are now dumping onions. You've told me that there's probably millions of pounds of, of onions and other commodities being dumped because restaurants and processors are closed. And then you even mentioned that uh, the New York Times reached out to you and wanted to do an article and to see what was happening. Can you talk to us a little bit more about that? Give the listeners a gauge of what's actually happening. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of factors really coming into play all at the same time right now. So, I, and I also do a, a, you can find me on TikTok, which the only reason I bring that up is because it's a different audience with a different perspective. Those that follow me on LinkedIn are usually have some sort of produce or farming or marketing background, and they, they have some basic understanding of what the supply chain is. The, the TikTok audience is, is not involved in this. And so what I ran into as I started talking about all these onions being dumped was a lot of confusion as to why. And so one of the, the more popular videos that I've done recently was, was standing on this onion pile and explaining that it's not that, explaining why we're dumping those onions, explaining that it's not just COVID-19 um, and the restaurants being shut down, but the, the ramifications of everything happening at the same time. So as an example, um, the, we, we had the, the, the restaurant shut, the restaurant shut down and that all happened relatively quickly, probably within a three week period. And so we have this supply chain, this, this channel, this freeway that we use, if you will, to market our onions to food service companies like, uh, like Brent's as an example with Brothers Produce. Um, we, we have this channel, this freeway and that, that, that channel is cut off when all these restaurants are closed. There's not access to that market. And so that stopped all of a sudden. And then the retail picked up and kind of pulled in and took over um, and made up for the difference for a little while. But what happened is all of you, many people went out and they bought twice or three times or four times as much. And then they aren't returning to the grocery store. So three or four weeks in, we lost 90% of our food service channel. And we've also now lost probably 50% of our retail channel because of all of that heavy buying that people did. It goes one step further, maybe it has something to do with, with cash, right? I mean, people are strapped at home. They may not have the money. But the fact is, is retail is selling less than normal and that food service is selling less than normal. It's the end of our shipping window. We can store these onions for nine months at a time, but we're at the end of our storage window. We really can't extend... Um, the shelf life of these onions much longer. So the only only thing we can do is dispose of them at a certain point. And that's what we're running into um, is the fact that we don't have those channels, those bridges or those freeways are taken out to food service. They're limited. We have limited access to retail. And um, there are millions and millions. I mean, in this valley where I'm at, the Treasure Valley, um, I, could, I could personally drive someone uh, within five minutes to see probably... 30 million pounds of onions dumped. That are just being thrown uh, away. Wanted to drive for it, that are just being totally being thrown away. And it's and, and that's it's, not just happening, if readers know, or the listeners. I mean, you can see this, obviously, with milk that's going on, with tomatoes and squash and many other commodities. And so it's, it's, it's a massive, massive problem, and it's a huge loss. I, I agree with you, because I've had people reach out to me on Instagram and uh, they've been asking questions about, hey, what other industries are you seeing this? I mean, I've seen everything from cucumbers 
uh, to cauliflower to pineapples. And I just posted that on LinkedIn too that we're seeing a lot of uh, other commodities going down. And I'm not gonna I'm not gonna dog the retail world, okay? But you got to remember the retails have a part to play in this marketplace. And I see people, you know, posting pictures of all the retail shelves being stocked and saying, come on, keep up, keep buying produce. And, and I see all this and I think of it as a kind of a facade, man. It's not real. I mean, because the retailers, yes, have produce, um, but they can't hold three, four, five, six loads in, in the cold coolers behind. So yeah, I agree that someone like even Brent over in Houston that's now shipping, I think he said 800 to 2,000 custom boxes a day um, is a little more innovative than going to the produce store because everybody that goes to Publix or you know the big chain stores, I'm in Florida, so I named Publix first because that's where I go. But think about it. You're right. I went and bought two bags of oranges, right? Um, Eight-pound bags. I mean, and now I haven't bought two eight-pound bags since. So – um, I saw that retail shift even within the citrus. I'm in the citrus category, and that was interesting to us as well because food service is huge for citrus, right? Lemons, limes, um, uh, even grapefruit, huge for the food service industry, and that's what hit us as well too. We were looking at this going, okay, retailers are pulling, but I kept saying uh, to my guys, I was like, wait a minute. We already know that retail doesn't ever pull this much to up from us, so we're getting our consistent orders plus some. And now some guys, like I said, there's there's no more retail orders for them, and we're seeing fruit go on the ground or farmers walk away from their crops. But then you have the consumer on one end saying, I don't have food. I don't – where do we get this food yeah. from? Why are you throwing food away? I haven't had a, apple, a fresh apple in, in, in a month, and, and that's very concerning to me as well. It is. And the thing is, on the retail side, and, and, I, and I, you'll probably hear this from other people. I know Paul will talk about this, Manfrey, but – like the retailers, not and again, I, I the retailers have supported us very well through this. But the one place where the system is broken is we have all of this inexpensive produce, produce that we could put in a bag. A lot of us and sell it to the retailer, but the, that price. The question is, is if they were to reduce their price. Some items have really high margins. Onions are one of the second most, second highest margin item in retail. Somewhere between three and six hundred percent margin. I was just going to ask you what percentage was that. So three hundred yeah. to six hundred. So and I believe citrus is around. They say sixty to eighty percent. So you're saying three hundred to six hundred percent. Three hundred to six hundred. The minimum is three hundred. The minimum is three hundred based on on the delivered price. Not not no. I, I'm not counting their distribution, right? And they they got a few more costs in there. But my delivered price Correct. to the distribution point. Onions are one of those really high margin items. And so my question about that is, and, and they can do that, and it's, it's still inexpensive for the consumer. Onions are cheap, no matter how you look at it. But I wonder sometimes, like, okay, so if they sold a three-pound bag for $0.99 cents instead of for $2.79, what kind of impact would they have um, to us as an, as an industry and also the benefit for the consumers? And they probably have weighed that out and decided that it's not worth that discount. But at a time like this, this is when I'd be like, you know, raising my hand and I, and I have raised my voice and said, Hey, why don't you lose lower your retails? I'll give you a cheaper price, but you need to pass it on because we need help moving volume. And we also need to help the consumer. I agree. I agree. And that's something I'm not going to mention any other retailers names because we all do business with some of these retailers, but I know a retailer um, in the South that ha- has been selling a certain commodity at, you know, two ninety nine, you know, for their bag price for years 
and uh, they were doing a great job moving this, you know, good volume, right? It's grown, and then the price goes up on this certain volume, and it slows down, right? But then something like this happens when they can't drop their price back to two ninety nine, or and it's still at that higher price of four ninety nine. They're still going to sell the same exact amount of produce that they were selling before. And I agree with you. If they would take that price back down to two ninety nine, I guarantee you this retailer would probably be up twelve, fifteen hundred percent in supply and revenue because he'd be able to sell, and the product would move faster, and there'd be no inventory, there'd be no right um, uh, salvage at the end in the stores because it'd be at the right price, selling, not dumping. And I'd rather have that happen than be dumping in the stores because we can make it work within the supply chain to get it to the store, right? Right. Right. Absolutely. So what about what's next? I mean, think about what there's still opportunity. We're seeing that in our industry. There's still opportunity. So what do we need to do? I mean, what is the next, uh, I would say, 15 days or 30 days look like uh, for you guys? What are we going to do and how are we going to be resilient to get through this? I mean, what, what are we going to do, Shay? Yeah, that's a, that's a really, really hard. I mean, obviously, we're all thinking about it. Everyone in every industry, but especially those of us that are throwing things away on a daily basis, are really thinking hard. I, I wish I had an answer. I mean, we are, we're at the tail end of our storage season and moving into our California production. Um, I know what I've done. I've, I've prepared and, and adapted our equipment so that we can do more retail. Um, we've had to structure that way. That the problem with going towards retail is that's that's the same we're all shooting at the same target. We're all trying to bag that same, you know, that same trophy. And so how, how is that going to work? Like some of us are stronger than others. And some of us are weaker than others. But at the end of the day, it's, it's still the same amount of business that we're going to get. We're just going to fight for it, which means our prices are even lower and it's a bigger problem. So I, I don't know. Um, we, we're going to diversify. Um, we're, I mean, we, we do um, whole peeled um, processed onions as well. And that's been an outlet that we've been focusing on because the process business, oddly enough, not the fresh process that's going to food service, but the processed foods, those, all those shelves were empty. So those guys actually need product. So there's a small short-term opening there. I don't think it's a long-term opening you know, that's, that's larger than normal. But we're going to also focus on that, on having more whole peeled product available. So if somebody's listening and they need that, obviously we'll have that available, and that's going to be our go-to for right now. I think it's more interesting, though, if I might, to think about what the ramifications are of this six months, a year, and 18 months from now. Because I thought of something, actually, specifically, we were talking about these food service guys that are doing box deliveries. And some have said... Um, that they're going to continue, right? Like right now they're competing with the retailer. Well, some guys don't even sell anything to the retailer, so they're not worried about competing with them. And they have their put, they're implementing all of the steps and procedures, the website, all the SOPs to be able to deliver produce boxes regionally right from their, right from their, um, right from their warehouse. That means they're going to now be competing with the retail. And so going back to that markup, I think they're going to these these food service distributors or for former food service distributors that are doing these boxes are going to force the prices down on fresh produce. They're going to force the prices down, and that will be, I think, advantageous for all of us in the long term. But it's going to be really really interesting to see how that develops because how do how does the how does a uh, a regional wholesaler that's doing food like uh, fresh 
produce boxes compete with the retailer that has everything in their store. They have to be cheaper. Right? They have the value of delivering it to the house, but I think that their their price per pound also has to be more competitive in order to get it done. I could be wrong, but I feel like that's going to be a significant shift in this whole industry as well. And what does that do to the, you know, the the other like the boxed food services, the uh, I'm trying to think of like Imperfect Produce or the Hello Freshes or the, um, you know, these these pre-prepared meals. What's it do to them when all of a sudden there's all this fresh produce getting delivered to the home? A lot like the food baskets do. I, I agree with you. And that's something that, you know, I was working with uh, Brent over at Brothers too. Uh, we're, I'm kind of helping him with a couple things. I'm not taking any credit, Brent, just so you know, buddy. Um, but I've kind of, you know, we, him and I have been talking probably every day about some of the things he's doing. And obviously we need focus groups. We need uh, people in our industry to get together to help one another. So that's kind of what we're doing. And I brought up, you know, pretty much what we talked about. And, you know, I know you talked to Brent as well. So I told him the logistics factor is what's going to be the factor here. Cisco or uh, U.S. Foods or any of these guys that are delivering in box trucks, including Brent, right? They're delivering in box trucks and setting up. They will not be able to incorporate going into, I would say, the neighborhoods everywhere. So there's got to be another component within logistics. And I think that someone's going to step up here pretty soon. And I kind of have an idea of who it might be. And I'm working on a couple projects in that nature as well. But I do agree with you that um, the retailers, you know, like, Again, there's Instacart for delivery, um, there's Grubhub, but everything focuses around that restaurant. And this is what I say. You ready for this, Shay? And I, and I, if you disagree, please tell me, but I think you're going to agree with me when I say this. But I don't believe a food service company can establish the relationship to deliver to consumers like they deliver to restaurants because they have to have that logistics piece. And at the end of the day, I feel that those big companies don't have the relationships that, you know, like the Brent, uh, the Shea, the Patrick do to be able to go work with wholesalers, terminal markets, and actual actual grower packers and shippers to get this box done versus your normal contract, right? Because we've seen these, right? You've seen the, the uh, contracts over the years that say, oh, you're going to pack this for us. You're going to pay us marketing of 50 cents per label, and we're going to distribute it, and this is how it's going to work. How many of those programs have failed? And I just don't see a big company being able to do that because they're going to have to sign a huge logistics company to somehow get this produce out, whether it's through like the Amazon network or however it is. Um, but it's going to have to. Would you agree or disagree with that? I agree with most, almost everything you said there, but I think the other component of that is the faith that you put forward or the relationship that you can put forward, not only to the farmer. So Brent, you know, if we're going to use Brent as an example, Brent towards myself as a farmer and a grower and a shipper, but also his, the way he's going to represent himself to his customers, to those people he's delivering to, because I don't want, if I'm going to have something delivered to my house, this is kind of twofold. Um, I want to know the person who's delivering it and I want to know where the food comes from. And the big box guys, that's where they really struggled. Like we spent a lot of money and effort to try and tell our story as a white produce as a farm. Like this is where your food comes from and this is how we do it. This is the effort that it takes. But it's really hard to get that water to the end of the row. It's really hard to communicate that message all the way to the consumer. There's too many barriers between us and the consumer and the people that team up to share that message from start to finish to the consumer are the ones that are going to win. 
Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. And I think if it's done the right way, then this whole transaction can be, be very smoothly. But again, ready? This is a trial and error phase, right? Wouldn't you say? I mean, we are failing and oh. then trying to build success right now, right? Yeah, and there, there's one other failure spot, too, that I, I, I wrote about on LinkedIn today. I think I'll make, end up making a post about it. But someone said, okay, what do we need to do as an agricultural industry? What do we have to do to make a difference here and, and try and improve? And there's, there's one elephant in the room that, that a lot of people in my industry don't like to talk about. And I'm going to bring it up here, and it'll be really interesting to hear the feedback. But tell me what you think here. The problem that I see with a lot of farmers and farmers only, and they're, they're, they're especially smaller farms, mid-sized and small farms, is they don't have enough bandwidth. They might have awesome quality, but they don't have enough bandwidth to sell and market their crop. They grow their crop, they take it to a custom packer, or they might even pack it themselves, but they don't market it. And, and the problem with that is that grower grows their crop, and that's their biggest concern. They, they kind of walk away. That mentality of a farmer is, okay, I harvested the crop. I'm done with my job. Now it's somebody else's job. The problem with that whole component is if I'm a, if I'm a, if I'm a packer that packs for other growers or if I am a, um, a uh, if I pack for myself but I let someone else market it, the marketing company and the custom packer make their money on volume, not on margin. They make their money on volume. Exactly. They don't care what the commodity sells for. They care that they sell a whole bunch of that commodity because they're getting paid on a per piece unit. That, that model has to go away. We have to think about margin because what we're doing with going back to dumping onions, the, the, the elephant in the room is we're still overproducing. We're still overproducing. That's the truth. We're overproducing, but that's because there's guys that will sell a crop at break even to the grower and not even consider it at a loss to the grower and not even think about it. That doesn't work anymore. The farmer has to think about what their returns are and, tr and hire people to sell their crops that they can trust and that care about margin, not volume. It's true. I mean, think about it like this, and we're going full circle here because this all has to do with what's happening today as well. We wouldn't be dumping product if we didn't have all these underlying concerns too within our industry. And, and let's get real here. Everybody's gonna have a, a different opinion, right, Chase? Someone's gonna tell you, oh, we shouldn't oh, yeah. have planted this much, or oh, you should have done this. Everybody's got an opinion, we respect that, no problem. But sometimes this is the heart and the reality of our world. And it's funny because if you look at the citrus community, right, in California, the Central Valley produced how many mandarins Right? Do you remember when the, the mandarin kick was going and everybody wanted to plant oh, mandarins yeah. because they were getting six hundred a bin, six hundred and fifty dollars per <laughs> bin? And then all of a sudden, years later, I believe it was uh one of the uh uh citrus uh you know mutuals or one of the industry citrus companies that said, Oh, we've overplanted too many mandarins. And then they started pulling crops out of mandarins, right? And now we're coming into this year, guess what? We're gonna see a gap in mandarins this year. So it's, it's, it's interesting as consumers, if you're listening, you are the buyers, you are the trendsetters. So if you're not going into your stores and telling them what you want and what you want to see on the shelves, it's never going to be there. They're guessing and trying to figure out what the trends are for the industry. So again, think about that. that and that's just completely insane. And someone brought this up to me. What about this, Shay? Think about pricing. So I call Shay, I say, hey, I've got these programs with these retailers. 
Shay, you're not in any of these retailers. Wouldn't you think a perfect model would be to set that sales company up on a commission base to sell at the highest possible price like some imports do? Why are we still selling to certain sales companies at set prices when really they should be working and working for us and working for the grower? Because a lot of those import models are like that to where the whole go, go, goal is to increase grower returns and get the highest possible price. Right. Versus the opposite. Versus right? the re reverse bid model or something like that where it's just, you know, lower and lower and lower. Yeah. Exactly. So even going into the import and season, it, it, it's like we're going and pitching retailers, um, you know, the, the, the bids, but the goal is still is we got to get the grower the highest possible return. And then one, if we keep as sales companies, right, because we're a grower and we're an importer, so we're not, we don't actually own any of the imports, right, Shay? But if right. we sell it $20 and our commission is, you know, 10%, we get $2, but if we sell at $50, right, and we're not to screw up the, the market price, what I'm saying is, is if we kept trying to increase and help, help grow returns, that price would be stable. We'd have stable prices. There wouldn't be overplanting and trying to figure out quantity over yep. quality and so forth. Yes. It's the sustainability factor you're talking about. I mean, this really is. That's how you make this thing sustainable is by making it possible to make a profit. Right now, the last about the last seven years, we're, we're on single-digit, low single-digit margins in agriculture. I mean, we're not making anything. So people are grasping at whatever they can do, anything that they think might be a trend, anything that they think might be an opportunity, you don't have any choice but to jump on and try it. If you had a proven method and model, we wouldn't be grasping for you know straws here to try and stay in business. Yeah, some of this new so stuff would have already been done. Think, okay, well, we're going to make... Yeah, it's counterintuitive. You think you're going to make the prices go up, and you are, but in the, in the long run, it makes it more consistent and more, more sustainable for the entire produce environment. I agree. I agree. So, Shay, I appreciate everything. If anybody wants to get a hold of you, how do we get a hold of uh, Oahe Produce and Shay Myers? Besides LinkedIn, everybody, if you haven't been on LinkedIn, Shay Myers, you will find him. You'll find the videos. He has been headlining all of his videos for a, probably a little over a year now, right? And you've almost perfected it, but... How do we get a hold of you? How can people reach out to you? Yeah, so you easily can go to uh, Um O-W-Y-H-E-E. -E. That's a weird spelling, long story on that, but Owyheeproduce.com, you can, you can look me up in the contacts there. Um, the, the office number is 541-610-0410. I'm glad to hear from anybody, see if I can help anybody out and even uh, – in some cases, I got enough time to shoot the breeze because uh, I'm not actually selling any produce. So uh, I'd be glad to hear from everybody. Yeah, and do me one favor because we want to provide uh, leadership and opportunity on this on this podcast. Um, what are a couple, uh, I would say, advice, leadership advice you can give to our listeners um, that are out there today? Well, there's a lot of different things. I, for me, I think reading good books is really important. One crazy book and uh, people are home and have time. Four-hour work week, Tim Ferriss. Um, I don't believe in a four-hour work week, nor do I ever do it, but the mindset that's required um, or he, he tries to, the path he tries to put you on in that book I think is super valuable, um, and it makes you look at things differently. Um, I think the other thing is we all make mistakes. If I've learned anything uh, in the decade and a half that I've been doing this is, number one, my family's willingness to let me make mistakes and to learn from my mistakes and, and eventually getting to that place myself where I realize and understand that I'm not going to have everything perfect. The reason these LinkedIn videos have worked for me 
isn't because I do the best videos. It's because I consistently do videos. I consistently put out content, try and talk to people and tell them my story. And sometimes I look like a dork and sometimes, you know, it's not the greatest content, but it's out there and it's consistent. You got to do that with everything you do in your life. Get out, do something, produce something, make something consistently, and you're going to be, you know, 80% better than the rest of your competition. I agree, and just so everybody knows, I already uh, followed uh, Shay on TikTok already, so if you're not on TikTok, uh, jump on TikTok. You'll see some crazy videos of me if you ever join, get on mine. I, I promote my Millennial Boom book that I wrote, so I do a lot of like crazy videos on the, the Millennials and, and the Boomers. So um, again, thanks, Shay. We're going to have you on the show again to talk more in the future, but I do appreciate you coming on so quick and appreciate everything that you're doing for the industry and being a leader to everyone that is watching. I appreciate it. Take care, everyone. Be safe. You've been listening to the Produce Industry Podcast with Patrick Kelly. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Anchor to get new, fresh weekly episodes. For more, please follow us on Instagram and Facebook at the Produce Industry Podcast. Until next time, see you in the fields or on the horizon.